the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin here on 930 AM, The Answer, where we are talking as descendants of American slaves about healthcare, business, politics, and culture from a black first perspective. No one's coming to save us. So where do we go from here? What are the next steps? All right, know. Kevin, what's up? <laughs> what do you have to say? All right, everyone, welcome. 930 AM, The Answer. There's a lot to talk about and unpack today. There is, and we have a short amount of time, so we're trying to uh, keep everything concise. So first of all, congratulations, Tiffany, uh, with you guys and the Kidney Foundation. So a lot of good stuff coming out of that, uh, especially, can we talk about the task force? Yes, the Chronic Kidney Disease Task Force. Yeah, so, well, we've been writing a Well, hold on, I'm interviewing this. I got, oh, I okay, remember? well, what do you want to say? Well, what, no, hey, look at this attitude, me. woman. I'm running this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you All know right. what? This is why. <laughs> this is why women right. are rioting in Iran. It's dudes like you, man. No, if I, oppression. <laughs> All right. So first of all, congratulations with the Kidney Foundation. Yeah, the task force is a really good thing. Also, there's a lot of technology, a lot of partners that you have coming in 2023. Let's talk about that. So uh, with the Kidney Foundation, what do you have? What do what do you have coming uh, for the for the for the community of Bear County and for Texas in general? Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, Let's do healthy I.O. first. Talk about what we're doing, what, what we have in the works with him. Well, uh, well, that kind of leads into to the white paper. Mm-hmm. So for the Chronic Kidney Disease Task Force, we've been working on a white paper. And part of what Texas Kidney Foundation did is uh, my entire vision with Texas Kidney Foundation from the beginning was that uh, kidney patients would have um, some place that was facilitating Mm-hmm. Um, research mm-hmm. and and by facilitating, I mean funding research, funding projects, and um, and that really focused on early detection. Mm-hmm. Focused on early detection because you the way that you stop something is cut off the head. Yeah, so, so early detection does that. Um, so what we did was focus the organization on being the leading early detection. Uh, organization in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that what, was our focus. So wh- why is that important, especially with the with the new technology and medication? So talk a little bit about. It's that. important because as the uh, early detection leaders, we've brought the latest technology. So what is this to te- not not only to Texas but to the United States? We've been a part of doing that, uh, and one of those is the Healthy IO Minuteful Test. Um, that test, we saw it in England and in the UK. And we uh, called them up and asked them to bring it here. Well, it hadn't made it to the United States. It was still um, in FDA trials, and we asked to be a part of those So FDA let me trials. pause you right there. By we, you mean you, right? I did. Because yes. you, you have this I did. Fi- I, I tend to use the Queen's we. I'm talking about Texas Kidney Foundation, but I'm the one who made all the calls. I'm the one who made the connections with uh, the leader of of that organization, uh, the United States leader. So walk us through that, right? Because I, I think people, when when they meet you, they they have this sense that you're this demure, nice, easy go, lucky kind of person. That's generally not who I experience here at the house. Well, <laughs> I'm that for the patients that we serve because okay. I have to be joy. I have to be hope and and I do represent that and I embody that for them. But when it comes down to the business side of this, my job is to be 
the president and CEO so walk, to go find things that nobody else is looking for. So you just randomly call these people up from Healthy IO. Well, I will tell you what how I ended up calling them up, and you know this, but I, I'm going to tell the public. I was praying. I was crying out to God because at that point we had received, I'd had, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I'd lost, uh, I think it was like 14 people. It was like the 14th person mm-hmm. or something uh, amongst family and friends. But this one was particularly difficult because it was Jamarcus. Jamarcus Cruz, my friend Shirley Cruz's brother. And we were working with Jamarcus. So one of the things that I do Behind the scenes is I'm behind the scenes on a lot of things. You don't need to be the face of everything. And so one thing is national stories, long form national stories about kidney disease and, and just the, the nature of, of what happens with kidney disease with patients so that people understand what this is. Um, so I was working with a, a national reporter. And giving her uh, people to talk to. Her name's Lizzie Presser. The story was amazing. Uh, so you should read it. But L- Lizzie, I gave her a person to talk to who was on dialysis. And, and that's Jamarcus. His sister has been a friend of mine for 30 years. And so uh, I called Jamarcus to find out what was going on with the interview, how he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he didn't return my call. Well, I'm not really used to people not returning my call. I called him a few times. He didn't return my calls. So I called his sister and I was like, girl, what is going on with Jamarcus? And she said, Jamarcus is in the hospital. He has COVID-19. And she said. Which is pretty, is a bad thing, right? So yeah. At the a- time there was no, this was at the beginning of the pandemic, like I said. So there, we didn't have vaccines on the horizon. There was nothing, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't even have monococcal antibodies at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was nothing to give Jamarcus. And that, that was at the time when nobody was being allowed uh, to come into the hospital with you. It was just, you know, it was it was devastating. All of us, it was devastating. The world, we were looking at the world. We were all on mm-hmm. on lockdown. Yeah, you didn't have a time. You didn't have a- uh, and and there was no time frame on what what to do. So so all of the work that we did as Texas Kidney Foundation was in in person. It's point of care work, mm-hmm. and so our work stopped stop cold when we went on lockdown. So servicing the very people that we service, finding what we need to find for them. We couldn't do it. She starts telling me about Jamarcus and Jamarcus is saying goodbye to her. I hear he's saying goodbye to her. He's, and he told her he's saying goodbye to her. And that's her younger brother. I have a younger brother who is also immunocompromised. And he did, he had, he didn't have a transplant at that point. My brother, and so it really was devastating to me to hear that. I, I, I'm a person who deals with death every day. And throughout this pandemic, we're, we're easing up on 70 people in my friend and family circle mm-hmm. that have died from, uh, from various things throughout the pandemic. Right. Some of them COVID-19, some of them uh, other diseases, some of them kidney disease. I have five people mm-hmm. from kidney disease. Um, so- so, so I, I'm I'm accustomed to it, right? Okay. But that that experience, hearing about Jamarcus and then Jamarcus died, it just my soul was it was soul wrenching, mm-hmm. and I knew we had to find something. We had to find something, a way to test people without touching them, a way to to identify this disease on mass, not just. 5,000 people a year, mm-hmm. 3,000 people a year. That sounds like big numbers, and it is in the world of kidney disease because nobody else is doing numbers like we're doing. But there are literally in the state of Texas an estimated 5 million people who have some stage of kidney disease. And I believe that those estimations are low. Mm-hmm. So how would we prove the concept Right. We can we have the resources to provide the proof of concept to the great state of Texas that spending a hundred dollars a test is better than waiting for our people to go into crash into kidney disease. And we're spending eighty eight thousand dollars a head. Any any Texan can do that math. 
Yeah. So let's, so hold on. So let's talk about that. Right. So, uh, because, so that, so that's, that's what, of, that's what prompted me to do it is so, that this has to be done in a big way. So, and that's what we have coming in, in 2023 is we have more of these kits. Also, mm-hmm. we're going to be, we doing, got it FDA approved. Mm-hmm, it's we did FDA the work. Approved. It, it's, it became FDA approved July 12th. Uh, and, and our thing, uh, my thing is, and I say our when I, because I'm looking at my champion, my husband, mm-hmm. Mr. Kevin O. Smith. What <laughs> our thing is over and over again, we see devices and therapeutics come in mm-hmm. to the community testing for devices, testing for, uh, the latest therapeutic clinical trials and all of that come into poor communities, poor black, poor brown, poor white communities, Mm -hmm. all of us. And then when that item comes to market, we're priced out of it or some rule around it keeps us from getting it. So my deal with every company that we've worked with, what I demand of each of them is that I'd be able to bring it to my people, the people that are underserved, the underserved white, black, and brown people of this nation, but specifically of Bear County. Mm-hmm. That's the county because in order to go big, you have to go small. You have to concentrate in one space. And that's what we did. Yeah. And then the other item that. Uh, and everyone's agreed to that, by the way. But the other thing that but I But you have to put the screws to play, people to get them to do what you need to do. But the thing that's important, why early detection is important is because there are new medications out there that are having an impact on people uh, that can actually either uh, slow down mm-hmm. uh, the progression of kidney disease. In some cases, it depends on the research you think it's been able to reverse some of them, but that's kind of mm-hmm. iffy. Depending well, there's, on, there's still research there's still out on that, research. but it slows kidney disease. We yeah, don't have to make up something. It slows kidney disease. And down. right now, what we see is, what was the report, I think, uh, Gibney reported the other day? It was in a meeting. Uh what are you talking about? Are you uh, trying the, to say? No, the prescriptions, the percentage of oh, the prescriptions. these medications have been out for how long? They've been out for a while, um, but a, a, an audit of the medications over five years said that. Uh, so the five years spanned from uh, 2017, January 2017 to April 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it basically said that. Only 1.26% of nephrologists were mm-hmm. prescribing those medications. Yeah. So life preserving medications that would stop people from going into uh, end stage renal disease or at least slow it down for up to seven years. That's a significant number considering that the average person uh, with chronic kidney disease is 65. All right, so you so. can really make a big difference. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin here on 930 AM The Answer. Come back and let's talk a little bit more about this. All right. Check us out at On the Record with Tiffany on YouTube. And all you have to do is look up On the Record with Tiffany and you will get to listen to us talk about freedom, opportunity, growth, and progress. If you like what we're talking about, or if you don't, check us out on YouTube, on the record with Tiffany, and listen to what we have to say, because we can guarantee you we're going to spark some debate at your house, just like at ours. And we're back with uh, On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. Tiffany and Kevin. (laughs) Where we have a black first uh, perspective on things, and we probably claim to be the American descendants of slaves. So let's continue with that, Tiffany, on the uh, the impact of the medication that's out there. And the reason we want to bring this to everyone publicly is to, uh, to tell you what we're doing and what does it mean that we actually walk the talk. When we say people need to show up with a certain 
mentality. Ours is a black first Republican mentality. And that's how we show up in, in everything that we do. And so what we've discovered is that there is a disproportionate number of black and brown people impacted on a percentage basis by kidney disease and a, and a huge number of, uh, of, of white Texans, in, in this case here in Texas, but white Americans who are also impacted by kidney exactly. disease. And now, there are things that, that we want to advocate that we believe that'll be changed. And I want to make sure people understand that black first is not a divisive term. It means that as black people, we got to lead ourselves. You you can't lead us. White people can't lead us. Black people have to be the first ones out front for black people. Mm-hmm. If if it's a black cause, if it's something that we are being uh, affected by, we know our community better than anyone else. And, and we part of taking agency for yourself and empowering a community is the community itself rising up to do what's right for themselves. Yeah, but also black first means building coalitions with people. Yeah, building that's right. Finding commonalities. That's the American way is to exactly. build coalitions uh, across lines. There's things that we have in common, things that you will advocate for from a policy perspective that I might not. But I, but because I have other things that I want to negotiate with you, I may come out and advocate for the thing that you want. But there are many things that we have in common that we can advocate for together. You don't have to frame it from the negative perspective. There are many things that we have to do that need to happen that are commonalities. Kidney disease is one of them. One in three are affected by kidney disease. That means every American. That means every ethnic group in the United States is being affected by kidney disease. So therefore, Every single one of us should be in alliance in stopping this. I agree. So talk. So we have so we have the uh, the, the at home screens that we're bringing back. They've been FDA approved. We're also partnering with a lot of people to bring uh, genetic testing. Correct. Exactly. There are three hundred and eighty five genetic links to kidney disease, and we are going to test for all three hundred and eighty five of them. So. Uh, that was something that when I came into the kidney space, I didn't know about all of the genetic links. People told me that when I said that I felt what was happening with my family was genetic, I heard resoundingly, and from nephrologists, I heard it's probably not. Yeah, because it's probably not. And no. let's talk about that, right? Because you know, so even even amongst them, there's there's a lack of education about how many genetic links there are. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of, or or at least. A, Nobody's communicating it back to the patients Mm -hmm. that there's a genetic problem and you can be tested for it. Yeah, the reason because you right now you're seeing a lot. There of, are a multiple genetic. But hold on, but right now you see a lot of athletes that are coming out and they, they have kidney failure, and that's mm-hmm. a genetic link. There, it's not just oh, this person there got could out. Be. There yeah, could, could be. Yeah, there could. Yeah, you're right. Let me there not speak could that. be. There could be a genetic link, and it's not just this person was. And eating. it's a ch- simple cheek swab or a blood draw. But to it's find not out. just that the person has got. There's something in the person's conduct and behavior that they're doing that's causing this. There's right. something additional to this, mm-hmm. and that is what we're trying to get people access to it so that they can be aware of what's going on and they can monitor that because the people as young as 16 are having these particular issues. And so we're actually having a process around that at the Kidney Foundation to begin not not to test people who are 16, but to begin to come into the community with the latest technology so that people can be informed and make the, make the appropriate decision for themselves. Because there's this myth in the, in the literature that black and brown people don't respond to tests. Yes, black and brown people don't participate in uh, clinical trials. So how does that? How, how have how so? Have what you we did that? when it comes down to uh, problem solving, mm-hmm. then we looked at the problem and reverse engineered it. What is it that we're going to address? So that's one of the first things that we addressed, and and we did so with the healthy IO minute full test. We now we have a case study that proves. Black and brown people take tests. Mm -hmm. We had a 40% adherence rate, meaning that 40% of the people that we asked to take this test did. Mm-hmm. And and that that majority of those and people are black that 40%, or brown. And yeah, that's right. We were testing exclusively in the most difficult population to test: black and brown underserved people. Mm-hmm. So that particular demographic, the the underserved. And those that are are um, that have a variety of reasons as to why they would not go to a hospital. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Some of its transportation is social social determinants of health. Many of the social determinants of health that that were preventing them for Mm -hmm. from going to a doctor to test. And we were also looking at at people who who manage their health care through the emergency rooms. That's we were targeting these this variety of of Mm -hmm. different different demographics that are difficult to uh to test and specifically uh, that have been been labeled as not wanting to test mm-hmm. as not basically yeah, not compliant. They don't care. Yeah. You hear that a lot in the research, especially yeah. when I'm on these. Meetings. You hear that directly yeah. from doctors. Yeah, Other non compliant. They don't not compliant. People don't care. Yeah. Um, but we had a huge response. So it was Texas Kidney Foundation, a few other uh, national foundations and uh, insurance companies. So mm-hmm. for us, you know, an insurance company has it's the best of of the world of testing because they have uh, demographics that are interested in their health, that are keeping up with their health, you know, that are taking your calls, that are, you know, they're willing to test. Mm-hmm. Right. So based on that, we should have done poorly. We should have, we should have been below those insurance companies. Mm-hmm. We should have been somewhere in there with the with the other not for profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we did swimmingly well, mm-hmm. swimmingly well, beat them out, the insurance companies. Um, I think there was one that mm-hmm. that was ahead of us. And uh, with that 40 percent adherence rate of the 40 percent of the people that took the test, 38 percent of those folks had some stage of kidney disease. Right. So, A, we found out that, yes, we do take tests. B, this disease is running rampant in our communities. Mm-hmm. And C, we have something now that's, that flies in the face of this. Of this general uh, narrative that you see in the yeah. academic research that uh, black people, black and brown people are uh, generally poor participants in tests, poor participants in trials, et cetera. And it's really the approach Right. Mm-hmm. So I always say this to people when you hear people say black and brown, just hear poor people. That's what you're hearing. Yeah. That is the equivalent, which is one of the things that drives me personally crazy. Right. Is that. Uh, and then also when we hear black and brown, that does not mean anti-white. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. When you hear black and brown, think poor person, poor white person mm-hmm. is what you should think. And think about because who, that's the equivalency that people have in their minds. Right. Think about who's putting it out, too, mm-hmm. because because whenever it's to somebody's benefit to cause division, they do. Yeah. They use a divisive language so, in order to in order to keep you all looking at each other and not looking at the real problem, which is a lack of communication in this system with people who are underserved, with poor people. And to be honest with you, Tiffany, I, when I'm on those calls here recently as a consultant, I see fear in these people's eyes. They don't want to go to the trailer park. They don't want to go to the barrio. They don't want to go to the hood. Right. They are fearful. I see well, uh, fear. I don't know if there's fear, but I I know <laughs> I know that we have had over 600 events since I have been the uh, president and CEO of Texas Kidney mm-hmm. Foundation. Uh, we have invited over and over and over again the medical community, doctors, nurses, technicians, all these different people, and I can name on you know both hands the number of Folks that have actually shown up. Everybody says they're going to, but they don't. Yeah. You know, because when I took over, um, we basically would go to uh, prior to me, prior to me, Mm -hmm. we would go to uh, nursing homes Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the average person with kidney disease is 65. So we go to nursing homes and stuff like that. Uh, maybe a community the center. The average person who's been diagnosed with kidney disease yeah, is 65. Yeah, it's 65. So we go to some place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I took over, the first thing I did was, hey, let's go to where people are who are younger, who mm-hmm. have this so we can catch it earlier. Right. So you don't want to go to some place where everybody's 70. We want to go to those places. But you also want to go to places where you're, you're catching 35, 45 55-year-olds who are, are beginning their journey down the road uh, down the road to kidney disease. You want to catch them early. That's what early detection is. You should be trying to catch mm-hmm. people before 
they're getting to the point where they're going into end-stage renal disease. And that meant that we needed to go to 78207, that we needed to go to uh, the poorest neighborhoods where nobody, where they don't receive a lot of health care access. Well, that change, all of a sudden we saw uh, people saying things like, I thought they were going to steal my my tires. <laughs> and a no. prominent kidney person was saying that. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, that. Uh, well, it could possibly happen. Some of the neighborhoods that you do have that question mark. So I ain't going to judge them too much. But that's uh, not been our trifling. It's trifling, but like it's not that. been our experience. But what I. No, so let me. Uh, for, yeah, and all this time. But, but I say that to say that we haven't. You, you just don't see them coming out in droves so, unless there's a, unless there are going to be television cameras. So what we've done here, right? So for our segment here in health. So what we've done is kind of a twofold segment, right? Tiffany does really, really well with, with, with leadership and interacting with people there. I do really, really well with interacting with people on the ground level, right? Uh, so th- that's generally our, our, when you say mm-hmm. that's our, our yeah. good thing there. Yeah. So, uh, when I left I my. I do well with ground, ground level too, but. Yeah, but let, let me finish. So w- what we did there, right? So when I came in, our first thing, my first job as a consultant for TKF was to come in and figure out how can we get more uh, screenings, right? But be more effective with our time and use of them. And so that's what we've done. We've, we've gone in. We know how to the process. We've gotten the process down. Right. We have we 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 what we would say in the financial industry, we own the local relationships. Right. And we're mm-hmm. going to be doing more and expanding more. And also we're going to be taking this and using this to challenge uh, the ideas that are in the literature right now mm-hmm. in regards to do black and brown people uh, take tests Do black and brown people participate in uh, these various uh, studies that would actually benefit us overall. Mm-hmm. That's what we're bringing to the community. Yeah. And you've been listening. Listening to 9.30 a.m. The Answer with On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin. Thank you. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, where we are talking about health, business, politics, and culture from a black first perspective. No one's coming to save us. So what's next? I already know who you want to talk about next, Kevin. All right. Jerry Jones. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about this is a. Talk about Jerry Jones, right? First of all, I'm a semi cowboy fan. I'm a I'm a lukewarm cowboy fan, right? I don't uh, know. But you know, the big thing here is with Jerry Jones, who's 80 years old, and so in 1957 or 56 or something like that, he was 14, and everyone I don't know they're pr- proposing themselves to be shocked that you know uh, Jerry Jones was there in in, in North Rock, uh, Ar- Little Rock, Arkansas, trying to keep. Uh, some black students from coming in when they were integrating the school system, right? He was 14. He was 14, so he's stupid, right? And so it's... I'm, he was as, 14, he was with his parents. I mean, Jerry wasn't driving there. He got a ride. <laughs> Mom and dad brought him over there. But what drives me crazy is I'm supposed to be outraged by this, right? First of all, Jerry Jones is 80. And I'm not shocked that an 80-year-old white dude may have been involved in some racist stuff, at some point in at his 14 life. 14 years old. At 14. at 14. So to me, that's more a reflection of the culture and society that we lived in. You know, that, I, that I think his apology was kind of crappy, but, you know, but hey, you know, I, I understand that when people are I putting the lights in. Apology. It was, and he could have done better. He probably, they probably coached him a little bit better on that. But, you know, you got lights and stuff in your face and you don't want to say something stupid, you know, have people uh, take you out with that. But my question on that, and you and I were talking about this, is who benefits from people's outrage because I'm supposed as a black person I'm supposed to be outraged right about this situation and it's like the same thing with Paula Dean right you know I hadn't met anybody in their age Paula's 75 right not that that's right I hadn't met any of them down here I mean I roll up on kidney advocates who who will tell me an anecdote with the N-word in it, and this is how we used to be. I mean, really, you, everybody's like, everybody has something in their past that if you dredged it up, mm-hmm. if somebody was following you around, you would not want that repeated to other people. But, but here's the thing, right? It was 1957. 
how many people had the courage so to is stay he still at, doing that now uh no i'm personally I, I googled this the other week when we were when i was getting ready to prep like for the I, show. I, I don't understand where it's coming from like is he yeah. still doing that now no, i mean not. who did jerry piss off yeah what that's what <laughs> because normally that's what i'm somebody, talking about you led right into it somebody uh all of a sudden like pulls some some card from 10,000 years ago, they pulled something from the, the 50s on you. Like, they can't get you now saying the N-word, but they got to go back to 1950-something. Um, you you made somebody mad yeah. that now has the opportunity to take a whack at you, and they're doing it. Yeah, and that's and those are the things that I that anger me. I'm just like, you're not benefiting from my outrage. I'm not going to participate well, you, in that. It, well, I'm just, I'm just like, there's, there's stuff that we really need to be dealing with. Jerry Jones haven't said something or done something crazy. Uh, well, we see that he didn't get his wish. <laughs> okay. So that's how he was living back in the fifties. Uh, and, and if he still has some of that residing in his heart, well, it's not working out. It hadn't worked out. That's how they're things like on the record with Kevin and Tiffany. Um, obviously Jerry's Jerry's idea of what a miracle was going to be didn't come to fruition. But you know, but the thing is, once again, is that he was a 14 year old kid. How yeah. many, how his many parents people brought him there? Yeah. And how was many, he go, how was he going to stand up to his mom and dad and go, hell no, I'm not going over there. I'm going to stand with the black kids. He wasn't going to do that. No, he, he was wasn't. 14. Yeah, that, and that's the environment. And, and the pressure around him, not only from his parents, but everybody that he knew. Exactly. Said, you better stand over here and block these black kids from this school. Yeah, and so and then the other thing, so. I, I'm not pro, obviously I'm not pro black and blocking black kids from schools. But it, uh, I'm pro us being able to go but to But you the still schools. have to give. But you got to look at the situation for what the situation was. I, you know, at some point, we have to take our emotions out of out of things and look at the situation. This is what this guy was was involved in. Now, what is he like today? What's the, he's a curmudgeonly eighty year old billionaire? <laughs> and he's like, not. I don't, he's not getting canceled. So for me, I don't see the point. Right uh, on that. I felt like someone was trying to profit from the outrage of people on that one. And I was just like, I'm not going to get involved with I that. Have lots it reminded me of Paula about. Dean. You know, I still I have a soft spot for Paula Dean because, you know, I'm along so with does the way. butter industry. Yeah. And so, <laughs> by the way, Paula's lost the weight, a lot of weight. And I know. <laughs> but one, Paula was the one who would always be like, stick a stick of butter in it, darling. It'll be great. You know, she did it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she did all the time. Yeah. Always. But the reason we're, I think she's changed her ways. But but the reason we're talking about this, right, and I have a conspiracy streak in me, right, as well on this, is that I always feel like someone's trying to take our attention off the ball and focus on things like Jerry Jones in 1957 <laughs> when he was 14 years old. Really? I don't. I, I got something better to we do, got, right? We've got real stuff going on. Yeah. Or, you know, you my know. favorite person, Paula Dean, right? And I know you be ones on the on the Internet going to come for me. Please come. But but in my mind, I'm thinking, no, we need to focus on the things that matter for people like policy. Yeah. Right? And focus on policy. Focus on those things. And uh, and I think the apology, the only complaint I have about that is I think his apology could have been framed better. But I know what it's like to have to when people put you on the spot and you're trying to make sure your wording is correctly, is done correctly. Right. And so it's a big deal in the sports world and people are talking about it. So we're talking about it. It's, it's a non sequitur in my mind. I don't know why you bring up sports stuff to me because, you know, I'm not looking at any sports. Yeah. stuff. OK, I'm going to tell this story and a lot of people may get upset about this. So uh, at, at my household, we grew up in West Texas and my dad was anti Tom Landry, did not like Tom Landry. Right. So in my household, we have a special spot for Jerry Jones because he fired Tom Landry. And so he gets big ups yes, for me. The, I don't know. In my, that's, that's an emotional that's level. The, there. That's the Smith family. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they all cheer on Jerry Jones because he got rid of, uh, got Tom, rid of Tom Landry. Landry. So but <laughs> but, you know, but the, back to the, the, the idea of who benefits from the outrage. Right. And that's that's this thing with Kanye West. I'm like. I really don't care. I hadn't really messed with Kanye's music since he came out and said slavery was in the minds of black people or some mm -hmm. some uneducated thing like that. I'm like, I thought so? Kanye was an idiot from that point. Yeah. And so people want you to dismiss him for whatever reason or pay. I'm like, 
no. Uh, Every time I, I see no it pop up my feet, I have no interest whatsoever in there. Yeah. What I'm really pushing and what we try to push and stress is what really matters is policy that impacts it's us. It's policy. So it's not all these people and their inflammatory conversations and craziness that they're trying to put out about this group or that group. It is policy and policy is written in such a way that that it opens the doors for everyone so if you when you're trying to make a change then honing in on just one person is not the way to go it's coalitions and it's policy you can march as much as you want to march. You can lay on your stomach in the grass and and do these very artistic looking, you know, protests. All of that has a place. But if you actually want to change a nation, this nation, it's policy. And that's where as B1s, I think we miss it a lot of the times because other people will co-opt our causes and our in our generational misery to write policy that favors them and not us. Mm-hmm. And, so and that's that's, that's why it's very important. It's very important to be involved in the policy writing. It's very important to be involved in the policy changes. It's important to make comment on the policy once it is once it is um, signed by the governor of your state and then being written into the actual um, body, like say, for example, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, when they're writing policy about kidney disease or writing policy, like we were, I was reviewing what they had written about Winter Storm Uri. And what would be done in regards to that? It is important to follow up and follow through. See how they wrote that. Mm-hmm. What's still there? Because there's always that open. Oh, we have open commentary time. You, your job now is to go in and read it, give commentary, and talk about it. Because the one of the things like. When I was going through the winter storm Yuri stuff, my statement uh, to NPR, you know, because I'm not just going to read it. We're going to get it out there. You know, you got to get that stuff out there so that people understand it. Shine a light. Be Paul Revere. Shine a light on what's going on. Uh, one of the things is, OK, well, what's the enforcement of that policy? You know, because it's they'll, people write a policy for you all day. Are they going to enforce it and how? Show me the mechanism. Show it to me. Explain it to me in Creole so I understand it. Mm-hmm. So you got to get down to the nitty gritty. And all to me, when I hear all of this, this constant change of fodder that's being thrown at all of us, it's to take your eyes away from policy. Because it requires clear thinking to sit down look at something and scrutinize it and take it apart. So if I throw 20 things at you, you're going to feel like, there's so much happening. I need to focus on all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to feel like. But stay the course. Mm -hmm. Look at that policy. Dig down into the policy. That's what what, uh, I do at Texas Kidney Foundation. I I don't talk to everybody. I'm not dealing with everybody. If you are not mission aligned with me, you will not be here. So let so let's talk about that. Right? I have a comment on that. Right. On um, especially as B one Republicans, that and I think I said this on the last show. That is the one thing that I think. Not that I think I know the Republicans do better than anybody than the Democratic Party is. They look at the policy. Let me tell you when I when I sit down with my friends uh, who, who are different participation participations in the party. That's all they want. Participants. Participants in the party. They're like, what are we going to do about that, Kevin? It's like the crime bill. I know people who participated in the in 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 uh, in, in the change of the crime bill that was advocated there. Is that you know, the they, thing they about start that, looking though, at it that, at the levels where it matters in but policy. The, but the thing about that is that it's not something that has to be exclusive to that. People. Any human being, it does, it's not a blue or red thing. Any human being can read the policy, dig down into it, and 
think. But the Republican Party does it better than the Democratic Party does. They have in touch with the people and they have long, uh, a long list of way, a long, a long history of understanding how policy is in place and how policy is, is put in place at the local level. They understand the workings of government. And if we as black people aren't showing up in that party, in the Republican Party and participating at at the seat of power where the policy has changed, we're going to be excluded from it. Well, I'm that's not why we're committed 100 percent to a, to the Democratic Party. In fact, if you look at the latest research, the vast majority of black people are not satisfied with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Right. You and I disagree on the split. I think that we have to move away from the Democratic Party. One, so we can have an impact on the Republican Party and push policy and procedure that not only benefits black people. But it's also going to benefit uh, others as well, both both brown and white people as well. That is the part that that we are missing. And that is the part that here in Texas. Right. And you know this and I know this. You're mad at me, but you know this and no, I know I this. No, I think that you're missing that there well. should be black people in both parties, that that the voice of the African-American community and that the future of the African-American community, the economic future, is not exclusive to a single party. It actually should be there are people at the table, the elusive table that everybody always talks about on both sides. In order for us to be heard in whatever administration is in office, there has to be a strong representation in both of the major parties. This is a two-party system. You cannot have all of your eggs in either basket. You ha- we will experience the same thing that we're experiencing right now over in the Democratic Party, which is, hey, we're focused on all this other stuff. We know you're going to be here, so we're just going to, you know, we expect you to continue to be here. But in the transition, we've got to move in large numbers to the to the. To the but there has to be large numbers in both. That is, that's the facts. Because if you have large numbers in both, then you have power. It's the 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 power is in the numbers. If you have the numbers to sway. But when you're breaking up with a bad boyfriend or a bad girlfriend, you just got to break ties and move away from them and let them come crooning for you. And you have been listening to On the Record with mm-hmm. you wanted to get the last word and on that. Kevin on nine thirty a.m. Your trifling last word. We are doing a special campaign at Texas Kidney Foundation to get your kidneys checked. It is called Silent but Deadly because kidney disease is a silent but deadly killer, and we need you to go to our website. SilentButDeadly.org. Take a 12-question test, and we will send you a kit to your house. Get your kidneys checked at SilentButDeadly.org. And welcome back to 9.30 a.m. The Answer with On the Record with... Kevin and Tiffany. Tiffany and Kevin. <laughs> so I got the last word in the last segment. So let's yes, talk about trifling. <laughs> uh-huh. Let's talk about my favorite person now, Tiffany. Potential Senator Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker has taken one too many headshots. I have told you this before. I don't know why. And it's astounding to me that Herschel Walker could even be. A candidate, right? Yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. Why? <laughs> but but hold on real quick. So we so Georgia, man, I, I don't know where to start. New Gingrich, if you're listening to this, man, we got to do a better job in Georgia Shit. on a Republican ticket oh, for the senator. Lord Jesus. I mean, come on, St. I mean, come on, St. Gingrich. We've got to do better in Georgia. All right. So previous to, to Herschel Walker, who is that other guy? Roy uh, Moore? I want to say Roy Jones, but it wasn't. Roy Moore, who, I mean, come on, liked little girls. I mean, sickening right there, right? So the who, part. 
what before that uh that uh before him was yeah it was Roy Moore wasn't it well, that's was the guy who had a I history don't know. Of, I don't know what you're talking it was about. a bad candidate which is why the Democrat got in right which is mm-hmm. I forget I don't even know the Democratic guy's name right uh, okay but anyway but Herschel but then we came with Herschel Walker and you know for Herschel Walker uh, it, no 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 we did not come with Herschel <laughs> Walker hey, don't use the Queen's weed throwing me in I'm there the Republican Party right I got accepted good with so. the bad, right? I don't B1, think though. So. But he won only by less than 100. He lost by less than 100,000 votes. He got 1.8 or 1.7 million. He got uh, 1.7 million votes. Herschel Walker did. Got like forty eight percent of the of of the Georgia vote. And so you're saying like forty eight percent of of Georgians have taken headshots as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you tell me. That's what I mean. <laughs> and the reason I, the reason I bring up Herschel Walker, right? It's terrible. Who is demonstrably not smart? Is that that encourages <laughs> me as an ordinary person mm-hmm. that we as ordinary people can participate in the party. I mean, they have Herschel what? Walker who can barely put That's two That's what you took from that? That's what I took from what that. What's wrong with you? No. What did no. you take from that? I took from it that people will put up somebody that is subpar, subpar, knowing that they're subpar. And personally, I feel like the whole thing is, let's put this guy up. He sounds, you know, borderline idiotic, which reinforces racist stereotypes. Uh, This is how I feel about it. You asked me what I thought. (laughs) And we can vote him in and let him let his buffoonery be seen by the world. How do you really feel about that? Right. But (laughs) because there are too many intelligent, well-educated black people that can be put forward. No, uh, we're talking about why I think they put him forward. I think they put him forward because he's black. I think they put him forward because uh, he's black. And he, as I said, promotes a bunch of buffoonery that makes certain people happy. This is what black people are. Let's put him out there and have him have him not be able to articulate a point. That's what we've always said about those I, people. I wouldn't want to be in in the Republican behind the door committee meetings with you there. No, they, they got, most <laughs> people don't want to be if they're coming up to me with buffoonery or expecting me to coon and tap dance like this fool is doing. Yes. And so this is how you're a little passionate about you're more passionate than I was this morning. I worked mm-hmm. up by Herschel Walker. And then he has the nerve to try to debate Obama. Really, Herschel? I mean, really? They should just put you in a coma. And let somebody <laughs> else talk. And this is an issue. Medically induced coma. Uh, all right. So. What we like to bring to this is that and, and demonstrate is that we are Republicans, but we don't go around with the buffoon. So we're right? black. We're B, we're B1. We're black first. Mm-hmm. And we and we know that that brings with it, uh, you know, a little tension there. So we've had these meetings behind closed doors with people. And it's and a little it's a little tension there. Just a little bit. When you say Tiffany Herschel as a political and intellectual candidate. He is supposed no, hold to hold on. No one titled intellectual along with her. He's supposed Walker. to have intellectual ability. He's supposed to be able to think and problem solve. And as a candidate, he may be he was phenomenal as an athlete. That does not mean that he is meant to lead as a senator. Yeah, the standard that is a great. Yeah, honor. the standard is low, and uh, and and it, and it goes against much of the upbringing that I have as as a black person. No, that when the you standard come is to high, it, and he is yeah, this, missing. No, the bar. his standard, yeah, his standard, he, he he his standard is low. He's a low standard, right? And it goes against all the things that that I consider American values. And that when we show up, we're supposed to be our best, mm-hmm. our most articulate, our brightest, and representing. Uh, the group of people that we are with, right? With mm-hmm. B1s, 
right? And he does not meet any of that standard. So that causes an issue for us as being members of the party, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I'm, and no by way. issues, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But here's the deal, right? Because we don't have the large numbers, right? We can't impact that. So, uh, yet, that, yeah. <laughs> yet, yet, yet on that part there. So what well, we, we bring this up to say as even as, as Republicans, right, there's crap that we don't agree with and we disagree with it and people hear us out and we let it go. But unfortunately, you know, I'm not in Georgia and I didn't have to vote for that idiot because I would have voted for the Democrat on this one because, uh, and I can, I can think of a million and one things wrong with war. Not that's his name. I can think of it. Uh, but relative to, um, that not so bright guy, Herschel Walker, who's a freaking idiot, right? He's a better candidate. And I'm just going to take the L. I'll have to take the L as a Republican on that one and go with the Democrat and uh, on that particular one there. And so, um. Well, I think it's disgusting to put somebody like Herschel up there. I've said it. I've said it privately. I'll say it publicly. To me, part of of uh, being an American and being uh, and exercising the right to vote uh, is ex- expressing what you think about the candidate. It's having candidates that are worthy of the honor of sitting in a senatorial seat, and that you expect and can count on to represent you adequately and do the things that are necessary for the people of this nation to, to put somebody up there that can barely articulate a sentence can barely get a point out and then try to bamboozle the rest of us into thinking that, Oh, he's going to be doing all of this great stuff. He's going to represent you. It's preposterous. And this is why I wanted to discuss Herschel Walker, because it gets Tiffany gets Tiffany more riled up than I do, because I want to demonstrate to you what it is to show up as B1 in the Republican Party. It means knowing what you believe, being willing to articulate that and simply deal with the uncomfortable feeling that everyone has around you. So if you're weak, don't come this yeah. way. So if you want to come into the Republican Party as a B1, the weak need not apply. We have enough of those Negroes like that in the party anyway. And if we want to, and let's just be be clear on this. In order to stand up for your community, it means that you're not always going to be friends with everybody that's sitting in the same at the same table as you. You have to be willing to say, no, this doesn't serve us. And this is why I say people have to have the 1992, 94 spirit of Newt Gingrich, which is you have to crack some eggs to get change done. And you're not going to be liked by everybody. Or you have to be rolling like Malcolm X. This is what we're going to say. This is what we're going to do. So you've been listening to 930 uh, AM, The Answer with Tiffany and Kevin. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.